Hello and welcome to Molding Masculinity. I'm Tom McFarland and today, once again, I'm here with Philip Sype and we're going to be talking about men's hygiene and, uh, well, I don't really have a great phrase for this kind of as the umbrella, but, uh, you know, talking about our appearance and how we care for that appearance and how, how we care for that appearance is dictated and molded by elements of our society. So uh, we, we kind of discussed some bits of this before we started. Um, I'm going to hand it over to you, Philip. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, I mean, it's interesting because like, you know, a lot of times like the format of, you know, this discussion we have as we take some element of men's experience in uh, Western society and we put certain we put certain lenses to it and one lens we like to apply at the start is like is it true you know like like we have some stereotype is that true of men and you know the answer of yes or no informs our you know the the rest of the discussion uh occasionally and i think this is going to be one of those you know we have episodes that's less about um is it objectively true i think like there's not really a, a debate you know when it comes to men's appearance you know there's it's pretty widely understood that like you know you shouldn't smell bad um and you know you should look like you you know clean yourself or whatever but um other than that like you know men's fashion is men's fashion and appearance in general is pretty um clamped down well uh, yeah it is subjective but it's also clamped down in the sense of like you don't have the freedoms and um, um, variety of expression uh, that women's fashion does. Um, not even just like in, you know, um, fabrics and necklines and structure and all this kind of stuff, but like just in general, like, I mean, even just color, like beyond like, beyond the, uh, uh, graphic tees which even then you know generally are black with some logo or something um i mean obviously i'm i'm although you know people can't see this i'm wearing a, a green shirt so it's not like there's no color at all um but yeah it's very um you know it's usually like some jeans or some muted colored um you know brown black slacks type stuff it's all very muted, very, I don't know, boring. Uh, so there's, there's, I don't feel like there's a whole lot of debate about that. Men's fashion is a lot less expressive than women's fashion on the whole. Um, but then there's the question there of, okay, well, given that that's true, right? Uh, why is that? You know, do men not like color? <laughs> I don't think that's true, but. Um, yeah, and I mean, yeah. And, and this is something I've complained about before on the podcast and many times before in real life, is that one of the things I liked the most about traveling and living in Asia was there was like, I, when I went to the mall, I would find as many men's clothing stores with as wide of a variety as I found women's clothing stores. Um, it's It's a thing that we have really it's it's a modern element like i mean when you when you when you roll back in time and you look at men's fashion 
and men's and I know, you know and, and there's a couple of elements that I don't want to like overly co- like you know all cobble together here. Uh, there's hygiene is its own little thing and fashion is its own little thing over here. But all of this is still important in that it is all clumped together in like an idea of like whether it's okay to care about your appearance and self is something that is fairly kind of a modernized uh, scrutinization within our society. I mean, like, you know, we're all pretty aware of the, the, the element, which has some of its own misunderstandings in our culture, but the element of like, when you look at old photos and you see like all the men are wearing suits and you're just like, wow, men were so much better dressed back then, which there's some like problems to that. Like for, for one thing, we often misunderstand just a number of cultural elements that have to do with old photographs, like people dressed up more for photographs in the past because photographs were rarer in the past. It was like maybe a a thing you did a couple of times in your lifetime. Uh, Also, there was other elements of like, to put it bluntly, wealth is worse today than it was then. Um, But also like even, even with like a lot of older stuff, when you're looking at it, it's like, people had a singular suit. So there's a, what I'm trying to say is there's a lot that does muddle that ground, but there is something to be said for when you look back in history, you do see more capability for men to find expressivism in how they present themselves. And I don't want to entirely root this to wealth, but I think it's important that we recognize that this is a place where there can be a lot of dangerous classism. Um, oh, I, I would say like, personally i see it as as almost like a fundamental issue to this sort of thing in general i think a lot of um like the discussion around uh beauty and uh you know attractiveness and uh fashion and presentation and stuff like that is sort of uh very tied up in uh, elements of wealth and um, capital and stuff like that. Because, I mean, a lot of um, beauty and fashion is um, wealth signaling. And um, a lot of the tides, you know, of, of those industries are informed by, you know, the fluctuations as you know uh, rich people dress a certain way poor people wanting to signal you know higher degrees of wealth to unlock opportunities start mimicking that um then that makes it less of a clear signal of wealth so well so rich people move on to a different thing and so this you know the cycle continues sometimes into funny places uh you know i think we were talking before podcast about like ripped jeans as an example of this how ripped jeans come in and out of fashion for kind of this reason um it's almost impossible to talk about this without you know discussing the sort of class elements in uh beauty and fashion i mean we see um i think part of the most famous example of this at least that i heard growing up was always uh you know you look at standards of beauty um this was more about women but like you know for a while uh at certain points of history heavier women were considered more attractive which is is a little bit baffling is that's like a very clearly not a um not a thing in in today's society like heavier women are um not culturally seen as uh very attractive 
Um, and, you know, but, you know, at the time the heavier women were seen as more attractive, it was a uh, sign of wealth. Like it was hard to be heavy without having enough money to get the amount of food that you would need to get heavy. Um, and then suddenly, you know, it's very, you know, the invention of uh, fast food hamburgers and stuff like that, it becomes very easy to get um, heavy. And so now it's like very hard to be like the perfect, you know, sort of slim uh, well, person. And, and that's exactly the thing is that the way our society is structured today makes it to where it is economically harder to be fit than it is to like we, we have created food deserts and more importantly in this instance food swamps so food swamps being communities where the only uh food access you have is unhealthy things uh and also like sedentary work lifestyles that are necessitated too much of the working class um and, and 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 just a number of things that impact low-income communities that cause uh, weight issues to like to, to, to that it is it's that it it's really hard to be rich fit like unless you have the kind of money that rich people have it's hard to be fit and it would like fit by that definition of standards which is a whole other thing as to whether like the the relevancy of those standards. Uh, as we've talked about before on this with in regards to body image issues uh your health and function like you know your health and your personal happiness is what is more important than anything and that this again comes into i think very much in the reality of like as ma like, as masculine presenting people what element of this should we personally attribute with ourselves and that's whatever makes you happy um, and whatever you have the capability to be happy with. And I think we often run down rabbit holes of things that are we think are ne necessary for people to do. And, and sometimes that is what we attribute to dressing well, uh, being able to dress professionally, which is you know, one of those things that along with a lot of elements of old school professionalism that exists in our society have really fallen apart, um, that are, we're so wealth structured that we have kind of started breaking part of the, you know, like things that were like, you know, tattoos weren't professional in the workplace and still some places don't consider them professional in the workplace. And that even like that, 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 exemption of tattoos from professionalism was purely an element of you look like you are from a lower class than us so we don't want you in the workplace um every element of that is that and it's something important that we even as like you know we think that we're progressive we often fall down some of these uh wells when we talk about like people having oily and then this is things that i have heard in my own uh, workplaces and social spaces from folks who consider themselves progressives is looking down on folks for having oily hair, for uh, having dry skin, for having any number of personal hygiene, personal care issues. And it doesn't matter to anybody who isn't that person. And it is inexorably, it is always wrong to judge folks on personal appearance on matters that aren't like it. Well, it just ain't your business. It ain't your business to stay out of somebody else's business. Um, and I think that's something important that has to be said in all of this. Like I am, I'm very pro ex personal expression, personal care. I think fashion 
is I agree with you that fashion is, is fundamentally classist in a lot of ways, but at the same time, I think that we should still strive to self-express through our own personal fashion. Just, yeah, I mean, like, don't keep up with the Joneses. Don't wear something because you believe it's professional. Wear something because it expresses who you are and what you want to be expressed. But yeah, don't push that on others. Well, and, you know, what? let's be clear, like, the desire to have a variety of expression, it's not fundamentally classist. Uh, you know, the, I think, reality, speaking frankly i think that a lot of the um constraints in men's fashion at least in america is uh fueled in part by a very active desire to keep it that way <laughs> um you know there's plenty of opportunity here for businesses to you know put out um clothing with a more um with a wider variety of um options than brown black and gray for um men's clothing but it never happens um and you know it's it's certainly convenient i'll say that um you know men's fashion is so constrained that uh if you're a clothing company you don't have to um take risks or uh do um anything that um, puts your bottom line in jeopardy like you know I can imagine like with a wide variety expected of women's clothing for example that there are a lot of you know releases of you know pieces of clothing or whatever that just flop you know uh, they put out a, a certain kind of pattern or something and no one likes it so they don't buy it and there's a huge risk or whatever that they lose money on um, not that clothing companies are starved for money, um, but, you know, it certainly helps when you've got a market of people who all have been socialized to think that all they need to wear are uh, black, blue, and gray, and brown stuff. Um, and then just be like, okay, well, here's a giant store full of all the same stuff with different brands on them that um, may have marginal differences, but largely are there to uh, still be able to do the thing of like, aha, well, I have an Armani suit, you know, uh, that's a, uh, just a, a, a mere, um, I don't, I don't know enough brands, <laughs> uh, you know, like that's just a, some mere Walmart suit or whatever. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I, I think you're right. And so I want to, I want to take a little bit of a step back. I want to talk about, so growing up, I grew up in a very, very rural area with a different male perspective on this. Who Like there wasn't a class push of that you should wear certain things because of a, you know, your, your class or, or of wealth or anything of that nature. It was always this masculinity push was behind all of it. Um, I, had a lot of time that I spent kind of bullied both from kids, but honestly more so from older male adults uh, for expressing myself, for wearing jewelry, for instance, any form of jewelry. Like I used to wear necklaces, uh, you know, but you know, like 
you know, always cheap, like, you know, like, you know, Casio watches and uh, like, you know, it was all the cheap mall jewelry that you bought for nothing. But I like to wear it because I liked having you know, like I always wore rings and things like that. And even to this day, I'm not real super secure with wearing a lot of that just because of how much uh, pushback I got from people in my community of like that that was an effeminate thing to do, that it wasn't proper for men to do that. Uh, that men should purely be wearing old greasy jeans, an old greasy T-shirt, and, like, be happy with that. Like, like literally, your clothes fitting your body was seen as an effeminate thing. Like, <laughs> you, you should have some, like, you know, loosely fitting, like, everything you wear should be, like, not good, well fitting fit like like when i would just i don't know this was a slightly amusing thing from my perspective because in high school i went through like the um i don't really know how to phrase it but like i i went through a phase in high school of wearing like tall tees and uh like you know i sagged my jeans down to my knees like you know i wore a lot of very ill like intentionally ill-fitting clothes and then when I rebounded out of that and was like, all right, that was a, like that was a problem. I was appropriating a lot of black culture, and this is something that I need to not do. And I shifted to wearing like more like, you know, I, I shifted into a more creative fashion sense of like, you know, very well fitting clothes, but also still very nice stuff, like nice, but like always bottom in, but like, you know, well fitting stuff. And then I would get bullied for like, whoa, like. Like, your shirt's too tight, and it literally is, like, the right size for me. And it's, like, y'all just bullied me for wearing call tees, and now you're bullying me for wearing a polo that fits. Like, I'm confused. <laughs> and, and it's it's this, this thing that happens in masculinity, especially in uh, blue-collar envir environments, I guess it would be the, like, a cliche way to call that. I really, I, I really hate when people refer to... Uh, white rural communities as working class or blue collar because there are many other communities that are working class and blue collar in America other than rural communities. But like in those spaces, I, yeah, like there was such a weird dichotomy of getting bullied for self-expression at all. And I think that works into a lot of our consumerism uh, in a weird kind of way because yeah, it was like, no, you're supposed to go to Walmart and buy all these graphic tees uh, and all this, like, really bland men's clothing, um, but it's still its own form of consumerism, and, and, and there's a lot of discussion into how it also, it, it, it's pushed American and Western men into a sort of social uniform that, um, and this is where I'm getting a little bit spicy and maybe a little off to the edge, um, it has its, uh, fascist vibes to it of it's these don't wear colors be hyper masculine in what you wear and it needs to all kind of blend with what all the other men are wearing and when you go through like a lot of other elements of like so one of the things that a lot of folks don't realize when we talk about fascism uh, when you when you look at the 1920s and 1930s and these elements of fascism there were like elements of other parts of culture that were directly like that fascism itself like self-ascribed fascism in the 1920s was like well no this is fascist design this emphasizes the importance of like us all following the same ideas and like a strength and unity and all this kind of stuff and one of those things was this idea of the uniform of the masses. This is why Hugo Boss 
created the Nazi German uniform. Uh, this is why all Nazi citizens were like to look the same and in this very stylized look. Um, and when you see that across most fascist regimes, um, and I, I don't know, in some ways, I think some elements of this are a modern iteration. I'm not calling anybody who wears Walmart t-shirts and cargo shorts a fascist. I'm not doing that, but I'm just saying that like some social iterations of that, I think have some of the same roots and social threads. I think it's an example of how, you know, fascist type stuff can be sort of looking at the history of that stuff like it's very good at appropriating existing things to drive home certain kind of bad ideas any kind of uniformity can be warped by a fascist ideology to say uh you know look we're all the same uh i think in in this particular case like i agree it kind of has vibes like that sometimes uh but i think a lot of the times it's a um it's honestly uh like i like i kind of mentioned this before about how convenient it was for the clothing company is that when it came to men's fashion they didn't need to take any risks they could safely make certain kinds of clothes and pretty much guarantee that they would sell at a decent rate um and i think that that comes back into play here of like uniformity and conformity is something that is often very convenient for um, those who um, you know own businesses that produce clothing to have in place. If you can sort of freeze, you know, if you if you own a clothing company that you know owns you know forty percent of the men's t-shirt market, right? If you can culturally get men's fashion to freeze in place well that's a really good spot for you right you're pretty much guaranteed a really good business forever um there's a very strong financial incentive uh for you know all the like and they don't even have to necessarily even coordinate it doesn't have to be like all the clothing companies together and like sort of sinisterly twiddle their their hands together and 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 go to their secret cabal meetings where they all decide that yes, yes, the men shall all wear gray and brown and then we shall make millions. It, it, it's purely a thing of like, well, uh, as a result of some historical artifacts and whatnot and the way that masculinity exists currently, they can do this and they have absolutely no reason to challenge that. And anyone who, and therefore then anyone who does want to challenge that has to go significantly out of their way to do so. You want a men's uh, a shirt that fits a a masculine uh body type um that has you know some sort of floral pattern or something like if, if that's something you want to wear like you're gonna have to make it yourself or you're gonna have to you know at least know enough about clothing to figure out how to modify something or other because like you're not gonna go find that uh, and so it sort of freezes the market in place where, you know, they're all sort of conveniently making a bunch of money off of, you know, people being convinced that they, um, 
are only supposed to wear certain things and look a certain way. Um, and so, yeah, I think it does kind of come off as like a fashy vibe, but I think it's, I think that's just a way in which, you know, um, liberal societies, and I use the term here, like sort of capital L, I know the term liberal is grossly overloaded and it's, um, meaning here in the United States, um, meaning everything from, uh, uh, anarchist to, uh, um, you know, slightly right of center, <laughs> um, depending on who you're talking to under what context. But here I mean it in the sort of academic sense of like liberal as in like uh, individualist and uh, freedom, you know, individual freedom concerns. Uh, like it, it's the, this is the way in which like liberal um, capitalist societies are sort of vulnerable to fascist ideologies in this way because uh, capitalism also benefits a lot from uniformity and constraints in that if you can ramp down a variety is um, is a uh, giant pain to mass production the more unified something is the more it can be mass produced and unified and and cheaper to make so um, you know uniformity is fascism th uh, thrives on uh, uniformity and capitalism wants uniformity for uh, production efficiency. Well, those two things play together in some unfortunate synergies. Um, yeah. It does. And I mean, and we see some of this kind of come together with a lot of men's fashion that is used in the actively fascist right among the Proud Boys. The Proud Boys have a very set uniform that is based from commercial fashion. Um, the, uh, oh, it's the neo-Nazi group. It just broke up. Uh, I'll added in the uh, I, I'll add it in later I, I I can't remember the name of the I'll, probably later on I'll just scream the name of this neo-nazi group but there's a neo-nazi group from Eastern Europe that uh has became like they're very well known for the like specific jumpsuits that they wear like you know like track suits um Adam Waffen Adam Waffen that's who it is uh you know there, there are elements of that that kind of you know bleed through and have their threads and but yeah, I think you're right. Like as a generality, like, yeah, I'm not saying that there's this like an intended goal of a thing. It's just that that's kind of, that's just what happens when you create a uniformity, a society of uniformity, bad, there, there are bad side effects to that. And that's some of those, some of those kinds of side effects. Another side effect of that is, is, is the kind of NASCAR marketing that I see a lot of in men's clothing, especially when you go into like Walmart. And this is like, plain basic t-shirts and well and i mean i say this as a podcaster podcasters were notorious for this too uh but nascar marketing which is just plain basic t-shirts graphic tees with bam slap a company logo on that t-shirt so that you can inexplicably rep like weird random companies to walk around with t-shirts of like you know i mean i don't know you'll see like nabisco cracker t-shirts and that's a little unnecessary uh, i remember like I, I had a few, you know, it was like the these like t-shirts when I was in high school. I remember having this one that was like a Pepsi shirt, but it like looked like it was old, so it was kind of a cool look. But it's just a Pepsi shirt. Like you're walking around like a NASCAR driver. Like, um, I didn't think of it in that context, but like later on, it's like looking back on that is like, oh, that's kind of weird, and that's really notorious in a lot of men's fashion. 
Uh, and it really is feeding off of this idea of like men are convinced that when they go clothes shopping, it has to be something that they dislike. It's something that they are begrudgingly doing. And they're just going to pick out whatever is like, yeah, this looks like this works. And it's a NASCAR sponsorship ad uh, that they're putting on their chest. And it's that's a I think that's an element of this. And I think that's a very intentional element of men's uh, clothing marketing is to make it in this kind of direction so that it it's it's easy to turn men into billboards. Um and I mean, like I said, we're as guilty of that. Like we all, you know, create these kind of t-shirt things that do some of the same kind of stuff of selling t-shirts. Uh, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing overall to do. It's just, I think that's a part of like men's clothing culture that is so focused around the t-shirt and cargo short emphasis, I think is an element of that. That is, I don't know. It is. Yeah. Well, and they, and, and it, you know, I think when it comes to these kind of analysis, things like there's a tendency to it for it to come off as conspirator conspiracy thinking a little bit conspiratorial and it's really not that it's not that you know they all get together and say like yes and we shall all condition men to be walking advertisements for us and stuff like it's literally like i mean it can be something as simple as like okay uh what's like if you're a dude right growing up a decade ago or something like and you're wanting to do something a little bit more expressive than a plain t-shirt and jeans like what do you do you go oh well i really like uh this superhero right and uh, we can put that superhero's logo on a t-shirt and that's different enough uh while not while being somewhat expressive that it's acceptable you know and no one's going to be like oh okay yeah you like batman i get it um but suddenly uh, companies see that and they see like oh man you know like we let we let superheroes uh be on t-shirts and suddenly uh sales for marvel are doing super well everyone realizes this is totally mainstream and they're like well i mean like if we can just put our logos on t-shirts you know then great you know and what you end up doing is arriving at this place where you know men are walking advertisements but uh no one ever sort of decided that to be the case but companies are sure happy to ride that wave as it were you know a hundred percent um now we we've hit a lot on clothing and, and really like we've walked into this originally talking about hygiene um well i guess in personal oh, sure. um uh, not that there's anything wrong with that but now i'm going to shift this gears a little bit into still not really personal hygiene i suppose um and i mean and like this uh one in particular, and this is one that has such a amusing political divide to me, is hair color. Um, mm -hmm. I, I color my hair. I put highlights into my hair whenever I can afford to do it. And I will admit, this is something, you know, do it. What? Well, actually, this is something that comes with a lot of classism steeped in it in multiple different directions. So, like, you know, like I have a, like, I have a cosmetologist who does my hair. And yeah, it's an expensive thing. Um, it is a privilege of mine. There are also a lot of folks who do it at home. I used to do it at home when I was in high school. I uh, had like one of the weird, goofy, it was like a plastic cap that would go over my head and you'd go with tweezers and like pull the hair out through it with tweezers and then like peroxide it with just the harshest, you know, under the kitchen sink chemicals you could and bleach it all white. And then I gel it up and have this, you know, frosted tips. Um, and and you see a lot of uh, there are two elements of this that I want to talk about. One is um, you you see folks 
throw, well, I guess there's three elements of this. You see a lot of folks throw shade at folks who colored their hair in home-based ways that, hey, it puts color in their hair and they're happy about it. You can complain that it's over-processed hair, but guess what? It's their hair. You can complain that it's other things, but it's their hair, their head, what they want to do. Um, so yeah, we get real classist about this. So before I start sh throwing shade at other, like in other directions, I just want to clarify, there's a lot of progressives out there who get real classist about this too. But yeah, um, I get still on the regular, I get a, uh, you know, people who don't know me, who see my hair kind of just assume that it's natural, that I naturally have some blonde in my hair. People who don't know me definitively see it change colors and then very frequently remark on that. I'm like, oh, you color your hair? And like, oh yeah, no, I go to like a beauty shop and do it. And they're like, as it, like I, I've flat out had people like question of like, you're a man and you do that. You're comfortable with that. You're cool with that. You don't go to a barber shop. You, that's something you're cool with. And I'm like, yeah, that's, this isn't a problem. It's my, it, it, it's like, nobody looks at my head and like, nobody looks at me and thinks that I look androgynous. Not that there's anything wrong with being androgynous. There's nothing wrong with being non-binary. There's nothing wrong with any color you want to put into your hair. My particular, my specific, like, you know, I'm very, um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty hard into one direction of the Kinsey scale. Like I'm very masculine presenting nothing about me. Really. I know. I don't think screams anything other than masculine presenting. Um, and, uh, I like, how does that affect that? I don't know. It, it's a frustrating thing that I think we put on masculine presenting folks that is, has some prejudice elements against non-binary and LGBTQ folks underneath it. Also, it just has some unnecessary insecurity of male masculinity under it. This is basically just another uh, element of do yourself and stop worrying about other people, which is going to be my overall theme to this whole episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, man. Yeah, it's interesting because like I have long hair, uh, which, um, you know, has traditionally gotten some remarks uh in, like i've had long hair twice in my life now and back when i was in high school in high school i got teased about it a little bit uh about uh, being a sort of feminine presenting interestingly post-covid having long hair is a lot more common and uh, now i walk around and the only things that people say to my hair are like hey i like your hair it looks cool and i'm like oh thanks uh you know and uh, it, it's it's interesting seeing that shift happen culturally, and now that it's you know a lot more common, I see a lot more guys comfortable going out with like longer hair. And it was always something that was like kind of present, you know. Um, so like it's not like long hair is you know terribly um, you know unacceptable uh, in. Uh, our society or whatever, but like it certainly is. Um... Well, and I, I think it definitely brings us to kind of the third point of this, and this is where colored hair and in long hair, tradition, especially like traditionally in rural circles, is so politicized. It's like those blue hair, like today it's more of like those blue haired liberals. In my, when I was mm. a kid, it was those long haired hippies. And the thing that amuses me today is that, like, I know just as many, like, far-right people who have bright, colorful hair as anybody else, first of all. And 
even in my like when I was a kid, I was like, you know, I, I would hear literally like my uncle complaining about long haired hippies and my uncle had hair past his shoulders. Like, I mean, it confused me as a child. It confused me because like, you know, we would talk smack about long haired hippies and half my family were bikers who had long beards and long hair. Uh, all the music, like all the like cultural influences on me growing up were all like Willie Nelson, Charlie Daniels, who literally wrote a song about being a long haired uh, redneck. And also he was terrible and racist and far right. But I mean, he had long hair. Um, it, all the, like, I, I was always confused by that. And it was such an element of like, I, uh, my hair, I would just like, you know, go a little too long without getting a haircut. And I would start catching flack from all my family about like, you need to get a haircut and a job. And it's like, I, <laughs> you have longer hair than me. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's something that I've definitely experimented with, uh, personally and, uh, you know, the reactions have been, have been very, very different. And uh, particularly in software development, there's uh, a little bit higher prevalence of, of men with longer hair. You know, I feel like it's definitely something that's changed over time. Yeah, I, I think it has. And I think that's a good thing. Like the idea that all professional men need to have short groomed hair is... It makes no sense. I mean, like, if you're in a very specific industry where it is a health and safety issue, like, okay, sure, that's not 90% of us. Most of us live and work in very, like, non, like, that's not an issue. Like, I, I don't know. It's it's an irrelevancy of our society, far more irrelevant even than, like, you know, but no, I, I guess not more irrelevant, but just as irrelevant as tattoos being taboo in the workplace. And, uh, I, I think you make a really good point, though, that, that like, I mean, like going back historically, long hair is always been a thing that is not gendered specifically. Like there are so many men in history with long hair. The, the idea of men having short hair didn't become like a requirement of masculinity, really, until we started with the draft in World War Two so aggressively. And it became this thing where a large percentage of our men were ex-military and had this idea that you needed to have close groomed hair and facial hair because of their military service. It has nothing to do with any kind of a reasonable like expectation we should put on people in our society. Um, it's irrelevant. Yeah. And it's funny because it's very, um, it's one of those things that feels old, but is actually like very recent. Um, but, uh, you know, you can go back to, I mean, take one of the oldest things that we have, right? Like uh, the Bible, you know, the story of Samson, <laughs> whose power literally stems from the fact that he has long hair. Like that whole and book of the Bible is... cut, he loses it. <laughs> like... Yeah, the whole Bible, the whole book of the Bible is about how his, how his long hair makes him masculine as shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's, so it's, it's really funny, uh, you know, like, and, you know, because of that story specifically, you know, we have this uh, this cultural trope of like the long haired He-Man barbarian, you know, like uh, all of, you know, Conan and, and He-Man actually. And, you know, uh, a lot of these like barbarian type characters have the have exactly that look. They're shirtless, super ripped, long hair, big ass sword, 
like you know and <laughs> uh it, it's just funny that you then like turn to society and they're like anyway uh men need to have short hair and all this and I'm like, what but you guys just made this like conan the barbarian thing like what are you talking about <laughs> like yeah. uh like the supposed obviously intended to be like the most hyper masculine trope possible and um yeah it, it's weird and like you know like with a lot of the things we talked about you know looking at it from a historical lens you're very quickly going to go oh this is all made up <laughs> like um so much of of expectations and and gendered expectations in particular are just made up and you look at his, history and you immediately find not that long ago counterexamples. I think one that's like famous going around right now is uh, the like Teddy Roosevelt wearing a dress as a young boy like thing. It was like, this is not like everything that you think is like so obvious and normal and standard and like biological even is just not like, it's not like that and you know like you're we're making it like that with our behavior and our you know telling kids stuff like pink is a girl's color or whatever um my mom has told me about a story of her one time putting i want to say it was just like a pink shirt or something on me as a kid or maybe it was a bow i don't really remember but i i had the color pink on me as a baby and her getting like actively chastised by people of like people are going to think he's a girl it's just like, so he's a baby what yeah. is it like what it, it's not gonna hurt his feelings <laughs> like what is it? it it's an irrelevancy it's not relevant and and yeah and i mean and there is this uh, there's a historical context there to the teddy roosevelt thing of like there was a large chunk of our history where we didn't genderize clothing for babies until they got old enough like we just didn't because Clothing for it, you can speak, you can attest to this more than I can, as like I'm a you know, not a parent and just speculating, and you've been through this. But clothing for babies needs to be practical and easy to clean and get out, get them out of when it is covered in shit. Yeah, (laughs) very true. And I mean, pants don't fit that bill. Um, it, yeah, I don't know, it's 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 irrelevant, and I mean, and now, um. No, I I think specifically in in the the hair section, I think brings us kind of the next step. Uh, having long hair, uh, I'm sure as you know, it requires a certain amount of care. It requires a certain amount of products that you put into it. And again, this is where a unique market has developed for men, because men don't want to buy the things. So we've specialized men's health, like men's body care products into you know the the all-in-one it'll clean it'll clean your body your hair your face your carburetor your bathroom floor and your towels <laughs> and there's no chemical problem with any of that yeah no not at all just use carburetor cleaner on yourself it's 100 percent cool i keep a can of brake cleaner in the shower to you know uh, but uh don't do that I, specifically with brake cleaner just before anybody takes me and runs with that brake cleaner causes cancer but anyways um uh yeah it, it's created this specific niche industry for men's products that 
And I think this specifically in men's care is kind of this backbone of why there is this disparity between men's care products and women's care. I mean, like when when we're looking for body wash, like, I mean, it's, you know, it's fine if you don't want the smells of body wash that is in women's body wash, but we have the same skin. It works the same. The same thing with shaving cream. We have the same skin. It works the same. We have the same hair. Women's shampoo works the same on men as it, 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 vice versa. And it, I think it all, and, and this is my speculative opinion, I think it all reinforces this gendered idea within our society that men and women are different, that men and women are this fundamental, like we treat men and women as fundamentally different species of humans. And I think that's part of it is when you go to everything that you go to for yourself is like, oh, no, can't get the one for women. I got to get the one for men. It reinf- It's these tiny little reinforcements in your head that women are different. And it's like, no, we all have the same skin. We don't need different body washes and different things. It's and and then, yeah, and this all then later feeds into men just not using a lot of stuff that like, you know, that exist in women's skincare things like moisturizers and skincare products that we see as feminine. Oh no, that's for women's skin. Nah, we have the exact same skin. We benefit from cleaning our faces and moisturizing them the same as women do. Yeah. And you know, this is, I think, you know, a discussion about like the pink tax and the blue tax uh, are um, probably worth their own episode and how truly absurd they all are. Uh, it's reminding me of, I was at the store the other day and my wife had to tell me to calm down and stop being so loud because I was going to upset someone who liked them that was nearby or whatever. But like, uh, it really annoyed me the other day. I saw um, a, um, um, I think it was like called dude wipes or something. And it was like wipes that were like 50% more than the other wipes. And they, but they were like four dudes and it's like yes. there's no like they're baby wipes yeah guys you don't need a black package with like a gold or silver font in like some sort of like sans serif uh, like high impact type of font to be like you're still cool and a man even though you want moist towelettes like this is dumb <laughs> yes yes uh, <laughs> it really annoyed me uh and i started talking about how annoying it was uh because i wanted to point it out to my son about how dumb this entire uh thing is and uh apparently i was being too loud in the grocery store very much uh very much my own personal sir this is an rb situation um <laughs> No, I am with you, though. This frustrates me so much. And I I get because I watch a lot of YouTube videos that are like uh, rebuilding car parts and how to, you know, like stain wood and very masculine targeted YouTube videos. I get bombarded with these ads that are so ridiculous and often inappropriate uh, when I'm around certain audiences because I think I'll be watching a YouTube video and it kicks to ad and it's like, do you need to wash your balls better? And it's like, whoa calm down that's not where we're that's not what i'm watching about youtube like i regular soap works fine i don't need special ball soap that's sold on youtube or do you one that really gets me right now and i mean okay 
I'm going down a rabbit hole here, but let, let's complain about some products. Uh, there's one that, in, and I am 100% about like personal grooming um, clippers, like, you know, whatever you need to trim that is body hair that you want to trim. Cool, go for it. If you don't want to, cool, go for it, whatever. But I get this ad for trimmers that are especially for men's pubic hair. And the, the ad begins with like, do is there a special man in your life who you wish had like better trimmed ball hair will buy the perfect gift for your husband dad or son and it's like wait what <laughs> no <laughs> two of the three of those you should not be buying this product for <laughs> God. oh man i can't help it now in my head like the like here son I bought you this. A ball trimmer for your birthday. You're welcome. <laughs> and it's, uh, I mean, all of this stuff is like, it, I mean, it's unnecessary capital. I mean, consumerism, it, it's goofy, it's silly. I mean, like, I'm sure, I haven't really noticed this, but I'm sure there are like special men's toothbrushes and stuff that are out there. It's. I mean, it, the entire Axe product line. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The use use this incredibly normal deodorant uh, or sometimes over scented deodorant, uh, and women will literally sprint from off screen to tackle you with their sexual desire. It's like no, they won't. And like I think we all knew a kid. Like I think everyone like in the every millennial at least knew at least one kid in their high school who used way too much Axe body spray. Uh, and that kid did not have women uh, lining up to be his girlfriend. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> no. And, and that kid never just used it in the locker room. He always carried it around with him and used it in the hall and stuff. And I mean, it's like, uh. um, And like, and, and so and, and here's the important element of this that I think, you know, we, we this is very funny and all of that, but there's an important element too that is just all of these brands rely on us purchasing them based on emotional response which is its own whole other element of like you know as men we talk about being rational and logical and not acting based on emotions but every single one of these brands relies on an emotional response we need to recognize that that there is no logic there's no reason to, yeah i mean if one of these is like you specifically do like this hyper male tox like male uh targeted product if you like it fuck yeah go for it but you just need to understand that this stuff is being marketed to you based on emotions. Don't shop based on these emotional pressures by brands. Uh, I really, I, I just, I, I can't recommend enough to masculine folks who are trying to, because we all go through this phase of trying to figure out what, like, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm still going through this phase of trying to figure out like what we need to better take care of our bodies. Cause it's, it's fine. And it's cool to within your capability to do so, to take care of yourself. That is a good positive thing to do, to have cleaner, clearer skin, not cleaner skin, but like clearer skin. You know, I, I've got a bit of an acne breakout right now, like to, you know, like, I, I don't know, to want to have like moisturized hair and all of that. That is cool. It's fine. So look at it from a practical angle, figure out what products you need, listen to female 
presenting to women to to other people who are not masculine presenting and are not men be willing to listen to them on advice on these products because a lot of times they know as well or better than we do like that's cool oh man man <laughs> my entire experience for like the past like year at this point is like in exactly that camp because like ever since i grew up my hair and it's longer than it's ever been you know now um i i've had so many instances of like uh like you know i'll be working on a garden or something and then be like ah goddamn hair keeps getting in my face and then someone's and then some you know uh female friend comes like oh just here's a hair tie get it i'm like oh right that's not just for making your hair cute like a ponytail it's to get your hair out of your goddamn face like and like or uh you know um uh my wife you know like it, it would be like oh my hair gets like tangled and like it's really painful like comb through it and make sure it's not like getting into like nasty like mats or anything uh but it hurts and it's like oh well, you need your hairs to like dry and knotted you need a condition start using conditioner it's like use a conditioner and the, and the brush just like goes through it like it's silk and you're just like oh uh like you just like have you don't you don't even realize until you start branching out how many things that you think of are like girl things and boy things until like you just barely push on that barrier enough to like encounter pragmatic problems that you had not had before and then you start going oh girls don't do all these things because they're girls and they're trying to be pretty or like sparkly or some like other like bullshit gendered thing that you've made up in your head they're doing it because their hair gets in their face or because they didn't feel like you know dealing with all the bs of having long hair that day and so they put it in a freaking bun because it's in the way and they don't want it to be and they don't want to deal with it today like and and, and i know like every female listener of the podcast is like yeah no fucking duh bro like but you have to understand this is a realization that i came to in the past like four or five months so <laughs> it's very exciting for me you're all gonna have to deal with me explaining to the rest of the male audience here the incredibly obvious thing that you guys have been living with for decades so i apologize for that i am not attempting to mansplain hair care to you uh, but it is for me was a very sort of like eye-opening experience of um, it makes me really think about how many things that I um, think of as gendered that are really just a function of the pragmatic reality of of existing with these with this sort of element of your body um, and yeah um it, it it's it's I, I resonate with that so much uh having grown out my hair just grown out my hair you know it's like that's it it immediately just like opened my eyes to a whole set of things of uh things that i previously thought were gendered and i had to sort of restructure my head as being like no the long hair things not girl things <laughs> yeah i mean yeah, that's when you look at, you know, cultures and civilizations and societies of men with long hair, you see a long line of various ways of tying it back. Um, 
it's something that we really do like we don't think about this and we don't process like it, it, even today so like another element is um with a lot of these same ideas that we just talked about i think it's important to note that a lot of the masculine figures we cling to ever since we're like kids as like the masculine figures in our life in media the action movie stars uh they they're they have an entire cosmetics team who take care of them i promise you they use a lot of women's products and they also all wear makeup and um that's not weird um there are a lot of men outside of the u.s who wear makeup on the regular every day it's totally fine it's normal it's you know there's and, and with all of this stuff, there are some class issues and there are body image issues that can work into it if you take things too far, if you over-obsess about things. But hobbies are fine. Caring about yourself is fine. As long as you're healthy with these things and they don't become maladaptive issues, and as long as you understand that other people aren't obligated to follow your own parameters of self, that's fine. If you want to use makeup, that's fine. If you want to use hair products of any form of nature, that's fine. You can do that. Nobody nobody who knows what they're talking about or has any reason to influence your opinions will say you can't use those things because it makes you less masculine. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you find a, a lot with those things anyway that... Uh... Um, especially when it comes to, you know, talking about action movie stars and stuff, like a lot of the times those things are not as uh, normal or are far more constructed than you might think, like the bodybuilder appearance of those highly defined abs and stuff that are so much the envy of people that work out constantly. Uh, you know, a lot of the times, uh, you go talk to bodybuilders or whatever, and they'll tell you, oh, if you want to look like that, you need to be dehydrated. You need to stop drinking water um, because um, you can't get that look unless you're in a state of dehydration, like where you're you know, not getting enough water um, because that kind of definition is, is only gained by the body's response to that state. And it's like, okay, well, that certainly puts a certain uh, dark element to all of this. Like, like, we are literally pushing like these, like you go to like bodybuilder magazines and stuff like these, like hyper defined, super ripped people that like are either photoshopped that way, or if they do look that way, they're in uh, a, a state of deep unhealth. <laughs> uh, and what that does to the psyche of all, you know, the men in our country about how about what they think they should look like or what is something some look to us to strive to replicate that is inherently harmful um from a medical perspective um so yeah definitely you know masculinity is not the guy you see on the bodybuilding magazine cover like um masculinity is collectively whatever those of us that identify as men uh, choose for our appearance if if we all decided tomorrow that we were all going to put on a pink sparkly dress and wear that for the next half a year that's what that's what being a man would be 
and it, everyone would have to adapt to that immediately, very quickly. Um, that's not me saying we should go do that or necessarily that I even want to do that. It's more just like a, don't forget that we are the group that gets to decide those things collectively by our own behaviors. And, you know, if you're unsatisfied with the current state of masculinity and what it allows you to do, what is socially acceptable, uh, look at, you know, that definition of masculinity and say like, no, I get to redefine that. I get to do what I want. And if someone is, comes up to me and says like, huh, you're wearing pink, that's a girl's color. You can just like look at them and be like, hey, you know, if it's a friend, you say, hey, not cool. And if it's not a friend, you say, hey, fuck you. Like you just <laughs> move on and do what you want. And don't let people tell you who you have to be based on some made up story that exists largely to serve business interests over your individual interests. hundred percent. What's the point of individual, what's the point of living in an individualistic society if we don't get to have individual expression? Yep. Um, that pretty much wraps up everything I have to talk about today. Is there, are there any, uh, sort of last comments or anything we missed that you want to, uh, bring up? No, I think, uh, that pretty much covers it. I mean, as with all of these topics, it, I think they're topics, you know, that don't exist in a vacuum, first of all. And um, uh, often have, or always have infinite, infinitely more depth than um, we ever get to address in an hour. You know, this is just an hour of a casual conversation between two friends who like to, uh, over introspect and analyze ourselves um but you know inevitably we're going to miss something or fail to capture the whole picture um both due to the constraints of our own perspectives and by the fact that our conversations are constrained to an hour but um i'm sure we could go on about this all day but um you know i don't think anyone wants to listen to a 10-hour podcast of us talking about <laughs> random men's issues and the ways in which they're all interconnected and essentially having the same 10 to 12 hour conversation over and over again as we keep <laughs> threading ourselves into different topics and circling back and doing all this stuff uh, you know trying to keep it focused so that it's digestible for sure um as we leave i want to quickly plug two different things that i think are related to uh, what we've been talking about today uh, the first, I've plugged it many times, going to plug it again, Grand Gentlemen. It's a organization in Oklahoma City. Uh, they provide suits to young black men graduating uh, high school in Oklahoma City. They also provide uh, tuition, or not tuition, uh, scholarships is the word I'm looking for. They provide scholarships to young black men in Oklahoma City. And they also do just a ton of work in men's fashion in Oklahoma City. Uh, they do some fashion shows and a lot of discussions on fashion. Uh, if you check them out on social media, you could probably ask them for fashion tips and things of that such. Uh, I think they even have like may have some products of their own or coming up in the future. That's Grand Gents on Twitter, on Facebook, and everywhere else. And then the other one I want to plug is... Uh, uh, the good Chad, who is, 
is responsible for all of our graphic design and also has a selection of mostly graphic tees, but uh, clothes has a selection of clothing um, with various designs and very colorful stuff. And 30% of all, I think 30% is the number. I might be wrong on this. Uh, of all of his uh, profits go to organizations in St. Louis uh, that uh, provide support for the trans community. Nice. Do you have anybody? Uh, no, nothing. Nothing I got to plug today. Everyone's probably tired of hearing me talk about Predator <laughs> Collective. Uh, it's easy for me, um, but yeah. If anybody else has any aid or mutual aid organizations, community organizations, uh, anything at all you've got going on that you just want to get some information out there, uh, we don't do. We don't. You know, as you've heard, we don't really have sponsors. I don't. Uh, you know, that's that's not a. None of the people we have talked about on this podcast pay us money so far. Um, uh, so yeah, reach out to us. Uh, see if if you're doing cool stuff and we want to rep it, we'll talk about it. So yep, thank you all for joining us. Have a wonderful evening, morning, afternoon, or whatever time of day it is. Thanks.